it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. Mira el centro, clave de gol. Gol. Alatelli, Aguero. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot podcast. We are here to recap the Premier League. We started off as a World Cup podcast, transitioning into the, the EPL podcast, here with my co-host, Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Uh, worse than you. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's very results-orientated, uh, aside from... Aside from, well, you know, at one point it was looking even worse for you, but we, we can dive oh, into that. Oh, happy days, happy days. <laughs> You know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, At least I try to be. Uh, Before we dive into things, uh, there's many ways that people can reach out to us. Reach us on Twitter at WrongFootPod. Joe, what's our email address where people can send all of their thoughts, feedbacks, and feelings? Uh, The WrongFootPodcast at gmail.com. You know, we'll... Uh, when we bring Jim on later, we can go through it. But if anyone is new to the EPL, is looking for a team... Drop a suggestion, and we will try to find you a club. As we as as we try to bring the beauty of the World Cup and transition it to the beauty of the EPL. Perfect. And you can also visit our website, thewrongfootpodcast.com. Uh, there is some work in progress going there. I know Olin is uh, putting together a World Cup winner rankings article that he wants uh, wants published up on there. So that'll be there soon. Uh, working on some bios, so you know about me and Joe and all we know about football or lack thereof um but that's enough about us let's look into this uh this wonderful weekend football is back over the holiday period boxing day big day for football traditionally in england uh joe i think we'll start with with arsenal west ham uh any first thoughts on on this fixture yeah i I don't want to start here but there's nowhere else to start because (laughs) uh the cooners are the top of the table uh and in this game um I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan, I don't know how you can't be excited. So, obviously, there's the obvious thing with... I mean, obviously, Man City still has a game in hand, only playing 14. This is Arsenal's 15th game. But Arsenal's currently eight points ahead. That's not nothing. That is significant. And I think the very interesting thing about this game going in was... First of all, we never, we don't know. We've never had this situation before, right? We've never come right out of a World Cup a week later. You're playing games. There's some teams that we'll talk about where, you know, almost none of the players were in the World Cup, and they were just training, playing exhibition matches, trying to get ready. There are other teams that had half their team gone playing in the World Cup, and players coming back at all different times. Their fitness might be all over the place. They might have picked up an injury. So it was just, it was interesting kind of an unknown to see how all of these fixtures over the weekend on Boxing Day and then today were going to how they were going to go, right? So, I think with Arsenal heading into this game, the big storyline was Gabriel Jesus um, was injured, right? And he's going to be out a few months and he's you know, a talisman for this Arsenal side. So how are they going to come back from the World Cup and in a game against West Ham, which even though it's a home game, it's obviously a derby. I don't think West Ham hates Arsenal as much as they may hate other teams in London, but it's still a London rivalry. Um, so I think early on, 
Arsenal kind of were in possession. They had a goal disallowed because of a socket offside early in the 10th minute. Um, but I think basically the first 20 or 25 minutes, Arsenal were in control. They were creating some, they were creating some good opportunities, but nothing, nothing that you know. If you're a West Ham fan, you'd be all we're about to. We really need to hang on here. But I think obviously the big turning, the first turning point in this game was in the 20. Uh, I think it was like the 24th, 25th minute. Uh, Saliba tackles. Um, who do you tackle on West Ham? Drawing a blank. Uh, Bowen. Uh, Bowen, Bowen, yes. Yeah. And he tackles him inside the box. For me, it was a it was a clumsy tackle. There wasn't much contact in it, but I did definitely think it was a pen. And I like the fact that, um, you know, Michael Owen called the penalty even though the attacker didn't go down immediately. Right, he stayed on his feet, but there was still enough contact there, in my opinion, to justify the penalty being called. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, like it was a dumb challenge, right? Like he's just like lunged across, slid in. Um, you know, if he doesn't get the ball 99 times out of 100, you're going to make some contact and probably give away a penalty. Um, it just seemed a little bit rash. <clears throat> yeah, was there a ton of contact? No, but it was definitely enough to like a guy who's running at full pace. Anything kind of tapping his legs is going to is gonna make him stumble a bit. So um, I had no real issues with it. I know there was kind of arguments uh back and forth online and stuff but yeah no no real issues with it and like i say it was just a bit of a clumsy challenge that Mm -hmm. you're going to get caught out most of the time Mm -hmm. yeah so i would say the first half obviously we go into half with arsenal trailing one nothing but i felt like arsenal were still in control they were playing well i did think west ham although not doing anything on the attacking side they were very compact and i thought um they were marking guys they were closing down guys pretty quickly and marking everybody that they had to so um you know it if you were a west ham fan going to half i wouldn't have felt great but i would have felt decent about the shape and and how they were kind of controlling arsenal um and then the second half happened right (laughs) so the second half if you're an (laughs) arsenal fan i don't know how you could be excited you know as a tottenham fan wanting them to fail as much (laughs) as possible I was just like, oh, this is this is just tremendous. They were playing beautifully. They were doing everything, you know, the mid two thousands, Invincibles under Arsene Wenger were doing. They were just playing beautiful, and it was so many different guys uh, in the front six transitioning so smoothly. I mean, Martinelli was great. Saka was obviously un- incredible. Uh, Odegaard was, I think, the best player on the pitch. Um, Xhaka um, was, you know, Ben White. Um, added to the attack as well and I just think that um, you know West Ham Antonio maybe maybe had a chance or two um, on the counter but really there was really not much I mean this was really one way traffic and Arsenal just it was so quick right soccer scores in the 53rd minute Warnelli in the 58th and then in in the 69th minute which just a truly truly great finish i mean you know twisting his body sideways finishing over the goalie i thought um i think odegaard was responsible for at least two of those key passes and and the assists in the box and i just think if you know if if this was supposed to be a judgment game for arsenal i think they pass the flying colors and i think now instead of worrying about top four now i think the focus really has to be can we maintain this lead can we do what so many teams have failed to do over the last five years, and can we take this league from Manchester City? Yeah, I think uh, it, it was just 
like a, a barrage of like attack and like you say um Odegaard was great I will say that you know his first assist for Saka was just like the worst shot ever that per- perfectly rolled into his path but you know he can yep. probably admit that it was a pass if he wants that's fine um you know his his pass for the the third goal was was quality like you say a great finish Martinelli's goal he just lashes it in from a tight angle you gotta question the keeper a little bit but still like yes, not, yes, not taking it not taking away anything from what Arsenal did because um this team like you said he's just going out is that gonna be a bit of a, an issue going forward and like I, I don't know this team looks like it's gonna score three goals every game um as they've kind of been doing through the season they've they've got goals in them defense looks strong enough like i say the only goal they can see here is a penalty daft challenge but really um yeah i think uh, like you say now it's they've got top four probably locked up um just from the inconsistencies of of some of the teams below them um it's now can they hold off man city and always keep ahead i think uh as as a liverpool fan i've seen it when liverpool have been ahead of man city and as soon as you give you kind of slip up that once and Man City gets gets back ahead, that's when they kind of go into another gear and never let up that lead. So if, if Arsenal can stay strong, um, I think we're going to have a bit of a, a title challenge down to the wire. Uh, I have a, I have a good friend of mine uh, who is an Arsenal fan, and I, we were talking because Arsenal are famous uh, kind of their seasons collapsing in January, where they'll be in the Champions League still, they'll be in the FA Cup still, they'll be in kind of the mix at the top of the Premier League, and they'll have a string of kind of three four results in January that basically takes them out of all of those competitions. But we've been we were talking before the World Cup that you know maybe this is not going to happen this year because this is effectively like the season starting over again and that's when Arsenal are at their best so they can kind of use it as that that mental block that seems to happen in January uh hopefully they can put that out of their minds because there has been this break for you know not all their players some of their players are away at the World Cup but uh they will be there um and kind of now just look and say okay this is like the start of the season again when we play our best football let's do this let's keep going and uh yeah I think uh like you say there was no no reason to doubt uh, that the first half of the season or however many games before the World Cup was anything to doubt that it can continue uh, with, with how they played here. Uh, anything else to say, say on this game? Yeah, so I think the one thing going forward, I think we saw a little bit of it in this game, especially in the first half, is the build-up was always great, I think, throughout the game. But I do think in the final... You know, around the box and in the final third, they just struggle a little bit, right? right? And that's obviously missing Jesus, right? So how do they go about addressing that hole, right? Uh, and Kentia, fantastic goal, but is he good enough to start every third? I mean, every game, every three days for Arsenal if they're going to hold on against Man City? But I think it's a tricky position because. Arsenal, you saw how they, they were attacking this game. Everything was so seamless, and, and the mm-hmm. chemistry between the players was flowing so well. If you try to put in a new striker, uh, you know, if you you know buy some someone from anywhere, um, it's a tricky proposition because they have to fit into the system. But also, along with that, you need to have a player who's going to be happy, who's good enough and happy to be the starter for the next two to three you know two to three months while well, Jesus is out. But at the same time, when Jesus comes back, they're probably not going to play two strikers, right? So right. he's probably going to have to go back to the bench. And, you know, you can rotate a bit, but I think, like, you have to get a class enough player that can make a difference. And I, I just think it's an interesting proposition where you have this opportunity, you're top of the league, 
there is a chance for you to do kind of the unthinkable and win this league. Um, but how do you go about trying to remedy this striker issue that has developed because of injury? Yeah, and I think I, I think Saka can do all right as well. Like I think he's uh, in the World Cup and in, in this game, he's shown that he's uh, he's on good form. I don't know if he's your kind of like you say out and out striker, the, the Jesus type striker that you can you can rely on. Um, I think they got some pieces, and you know, it's not a bad position to be in, right? Like, oh, if we buy someone in January, then we might have two class strikers that we're picking between each game or can rotate or, you know, get creative with how you play them together and whatnot. And, you know, there's there's no... It's not a bad position to be in, and there's no reason why I don't think they, they look to kind of strengthen there, get someone, bring them in, you know. What if that person sends injured when Jesus comes back or, you know, you don't know when exactly he's going to come back. I think you've got to, you've got to capitalize on, on the position you're in now, Um and yeah, like I say, it's not not a terrible position to be in, but it'll be interesting to watch Arsenal uh, in the kind of transfer window. They don't typically spend a ton of money. Um, they're kind of a little bit more creative with some of their signings. You know, it's not like Man City who just buy anyone good and pay whatever they need to pay. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be fun. Like I say, it was... <laughs> Probably not for you as as a Spurs fan, but you know uh, Arsenal are good to watch. Like you say, it's kind of echoes back to those those days with you know the the Invincibles and the the un- undefeated season and the football they used to play back then. Uh, Arsene Wenger in his in his prime as a coach who was uh, in attendance for the first time he since was. leaving the club. Yeah, so obviously that Which good I was charm. surprised by. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize he hadn't been back. That was weird. Like, it feels so long now that, like, why wouldn't he have been back already? <laughs> like, it just seems strange. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, okay, we'll move on to uh, another kind of top team who find themselves in second right now, Newcastle, following their 3-0 victory over Leicester. Um, basically, I think all we need to talk about here is is the first half. This is where it all <laughs> kind of happened. Uh, and it happened very, very quickly. Um, Leicester looking very very poor at the back i i thought <laughs> in this first half they give away a penalty very early on what was it a minute in like i just just over a yep, minute in yep, yep. um yeah one nil down before it's even got going then you have Omiron kind of dancing through defenders with ease for the the second goal no one even kind of coming close to a challenge you know going back to what i was saying about uh the west Ham penalty you know at least they <laughs> someone was sliding in to try and break up the play like that didn't happen at all as Omiron got through and, and made it two nil and then from the corner uh i think it was about 31 32 minutes in joe linton rises up headers home kind of uncontested 3-0 um i think there were questions with with newcastle about kind of like are they for real you know obviously the money has come into this club they brought in a new manager they brought in a lot of new players they're looking to continue to spend where are they going to end up and i think uh much like like arsenal kind of proving a point coming back after a break and people not knowing where it's going to be uh newcastle started this very very brightly this very good first half like i say i have big concerns for leicester i just felt like Newcastle could basically score when they wanted to score, um, which 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 they did in 32 minutes, and then they could effectively kind of take take their foot off the gas. What were your thoughts watching this game? Well, first, I mean, Leicester has given up the third most goals in the Premier League, and this game showed why. Uh, <laughs> kind of all over the shop. <laughs> uh, excuse me. I've always rated Eddie Howe, so I'm not like overly surprised at how successful Newcastle have been, but. I mean, when you look at this roster compared to other 
rosters below them. Um, speaking specifically of you know Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, th- this Newcastle team just does not have the talent of those teams. I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Wood, Joe Linton, Miguel Almiron, he was fantastic in this game, but you know these none of these guys were highly rated. Right. Um, transfer, I mean, Longstaff, um, you know, Byrne at, at left back, Kevin Trippier. Um, you know, it did come from Atletico Madrid. So, that, I mean, there is a little acclaim there. Uh, Guillermo in the middle is obviously very talented. Um, but I think that's the thing that these other teams should be worried about, right? Going forward, I don't – I think this 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 Newcastle team has a lot to improve. And they're just kind of laying the, the foundation right now. And they're already punching above their weight. So I'm not positive they're going to stay in the top four just because – I'm not sure this squad is quite good enough to maintain that, mm-hmm. but it's very realistic that they could. And I just think this is a building block for the future. We <laughs> we know they're going to pump in more money into this team. Um, they seem to be making smart buys. They have a good manager, um, you know, going forward. And I just think that, you know, when we look at you know the larger dynamics of this of this Premier League, right? We see Arsenal being as good as they've been in a decade. Um, we see obviously Newcastle, especially with the Saudi Arabia money coming in. There's, there, there's, they're like at the high point and only continuing to get better. Uh, we saw Liverpool obviously adding Cody Gakpo, and they're a very talented team. Man City obviously is is dominating this league for the last five years. Um, so I think the top four battle going forward, it's it's going to be like the early two, you know, the the early 2010s where you know in order to make the top four, you have to be he really really good and i think you know these top you know to make the top four going forward is going to be a real challenge and you're not going to be able to be as bad as tottenham were last year or as bad as chelsea have been in a few years and make the or or man you know was a few years ago with ollie gonna man united finished second in the league i I, actually i think that was under might have been under jose actually but you know they finished second in the premier league and they weren't that good Mm -hmm. i mean that's what's not going to happen the way things are 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 you know happening right now these teams a lot of these teams are kind of nearing their apex so um i think going forward um you know what newcastle is doing this season i think is you know for teams like tottenham like a chelsea um or anyone else who had any visions of making the top four i think it's it's going it's going to get a lot harder yeah, and I think I think what we've seen this year is uh, a lot of inconsistency uh, throughout the the big six or the big seven, however however you want to categorize it. Now, um, I think that often happened, but there was always kind of like you look in the the, the recent races between uh, Man City and Liverpool. It's been like they've basically dropped very few points um, throughout the year and kind of run away with it. And then you're looking at the the pieces blow. But I think you know I I think every position is is still up for grabs. Um, I think everyone is kind of showing a little bit of inconsistency. We can get onto it when we talk about Liverpool, about Chelsea, Man United. Like they all looked good this weekend, but there's been times this season where they've also looked absolutely terrible. And you know, uh, I, I think it's basically going to be who, to your point about Newcastle having the squad, who has that longevity. We talked a lot about this uh, in the World Cup about when will leg, like kind of the the legs catch up with some of these teams, and that's when. That's why Man City usually start running away with things because their bench is kind of littered with with players they get in anyone else's starting eleven. Um, but you know, when there's new kids on the block like Newcastle, what does that look like? What do they do in January to bolster some of this? I know a lot of Newcastle fans weren't the most happy with you know 
the Saudi money came in and they thought, oh, this is great. We're the next Man City. We're just going to start buying, buying all these superstars. And, and to your point, you know, Kieran Trippier, probably the biggest name signing they made, who is very good at what he does, but he's not like stealing the headlines, like signing Haaland and Grealish for hundreds of million and uh, whatever Man City do. So I think, I, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting transfer windows as well, especially with the World Cup, um, players picking up injuries through that and, and teams feeling like they do have a chance for top four or to be in a title race uh, more so than in recent years where it might be like, well, we kind of know what we are, where we can land, so we'll wait until the summer to kind of build on the squad we got. I think there's teams um, kind of like what we see in in North American sports around trade deadlines when you have kind of like buyers and sellers. I think there's a lot of teams going to be looking to buy because they they see an opportunity that we're not out of this yet and we can keep our name in the mix if we we strengthen a few areas. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a joy to watch uh, maybe not as of the teams that we support because I, I don't know where we're going to land but um, just as a whole for the game I think it's uh, it's one of the more exciting seasons that, that we've seen in a long time yep I uh, agree and like you say Leicester I, yeah I worry for them uh, they, they do not look good at all um, weren't creating much uh, and like I say I think Newcastle just basically could decide when they wanted to score and, and score with ease but We'll move on now to Liverpool versus Aston Villa. Liverpool hold on that dangerous 2-0 lead. Uh, you know, it looked like it was in trouble, and we'll get onto a game where the 2-0 lead was not safe uh, in a moment. But Liverpool uh, dispatching of, of Villa 3-1 in the end. Uh, came out the block strong, Liverpool, in this game. Uh, got the goal pretty early on. I think it was about five, fifth, sixth minute. Uh, nice outside of the boot pass from Trent to to Andy Robertson, who just first time, beautiful pass across a six-yard box for Salah for a tap-in. Um, then they double the lead. Virgil van Dijk, shot deflected uh, in, from coming from a corner, 2-0. Uh, and going into halftime, I was, I was kind of happy with what I'd seen from Liverpool as a Liverpool fan. I think, uh, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of inconsistencies this year, taking 1-0 leads or, you know, we've also gone behind more this season I feel like than we have in definitely like the last five years or so uh, going behind in games and having to claw back results uh, but it, it looked good but then you know Liverpool of inconsistent pass at the start of the season came out in the second half and kind of I don't know if they were sitting on the on the 2-0 lead or, or what was happening but Villa looked a lot better kind of coming out in the second half and almost a whole whole new game kicked off um ollie watkins extra born and bred like myself uh gets the goal uh to make it 2-1 uh and yeah at that point it was more villa in the ascendancy i felt and uh again like i say getting a bit nervous i've seen this from liverpool this season uh not being able to finish off teams from a winning position or you know not kind of putting away games but then thankfully Bashetik, or I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, scores his first senior goal for Liverpool. Beautiful kind of touch and, and finish in the box. Took it very calmly to, to kind of put it past the keeper uh, and kind of kill off the game 3-1 and, and deflate Villa then for any comeback. Uh, but yeah, like I say, I think there was there was flashes of, yeah, this is the Liverpool I like to see and also very, uh, a few flashes of this is the Liverpool I hate to see where it's, just just kind of losing control of games uh what were your thoughts uh, on this game yes i you know i agree i mean i think the thing that was striking to me is just how open this game was right and uh it was great for the neutral it was fun to watch it you know especially in that second half you didn't know you know who's gonna score the next goal Mm -hmm. um and 
I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind Liverpool have a lot of injuries to their forwards. I mean, Diaz yeah. is out. <laughs> Diego Jota's out. Firmino's out. So that obviously hurts. But I think the biggest question I have with Liverpool and going forward is, especially, and I think this game kind of revealed that, you know, a better team than Aston Villa will kind of maximize some of the weaknesses that we saw in that Liverpool midfield. It can be attacked upon. It has at various points throughout this year. And, you know, in my opinion, like Fabinho and Thiago are just not at the level that, you know, when, um, when Aldum was previously, um, you know, that midfield that they, you know, that Liverpool used to have, um, that, you know, with, you know, with the forward line as well, uh, working compete, <laughs> excuse me, compete unison, complete unison. I just don't see that right now. And I think, you know, Liverpool has obviously so much talented forwards. We can get into them adding Cody Gakpo in a second. I just question where are the reinforcements for this middle, uh, this midfield. Yes, it's great that you're gonna that you know potentially you're gonna get Jude Bellingham in the summer, and that's going to help this team immensely. But what are they gonna do across the next six months to solidify top four to possibly make a run at the title? I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think uh, Fabinho has not looked like kind of himself this season. Um, I think part of that is because he basically is the whole midfield. Um, Henderson has his kind of flashes of good uh, play. Uh, we saw a bit of that in the World Cup for England as well. But uh, Thiago has just been a big letdown uh, since they, they signed him a few years ago. He came in, he looked really good, he picked up an injury, and then ever since then he's never found that form or really found any consistency and be able to stay healthy uh, in midfield. And so I think I think that's putting a lot of pressure on on Fabinho to to do a bit more. I think the defense also hasn't been as great as it was. I think Van Dyke. Uh, I think I mentioned this on on one of the World Cup pods. Uh, I don't think he's had his best year, um, and, and that also then kind of the midfield doesn't help that, but that also doesn't help the midfield because again they're kind of expected to do a little bit more than than when they were enjoying a lot more kind of pressing football further up the pitch. They're, they're not kind of counted on and not exposed as much as they are at the moment. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, can't defend to save his life, in my opinion. He's very good going forward, but you know, again, that's someone that you're then making up for. Like you say, these are teams better than than Aston Villa are going to tear you to shreds uh, and, and put you away, and they're just going to dictate that midfield. And um, I think this is a good time to to move on to the the talk about Cody Gapko because uh, when I saw the news. It's exciting news, you know, bringing in a striker who obviously had a decent World Cup. He, he looked good. Um, but to me, that's not where Liverpool needed to bring someone in at this time. And obviously, we don't know what else is going to happen in the in the coming weeks and what else they have kind of lined up behind the scenes. But, you know, yes, Diaz and, and Jota are out right now, but they're going to come back. Um, I think you've still got Mo Salah, who is probably in the top 10 strikers in the world on his day. Um, Nunez, I don't think has looked great. He's looked inconsistent at best uh, since they they brought him in. But, you know, he's still serviceable enough uh, to kind of get through this time. And, you know, when they were bringing in Naby Keita for the second half in midfield, you're like, this is just weak. Like, <laughs> we don't have anyone. Like, this. that's the area to me that they should have been focusing on. Like I say, 
could eat my words if in in two weeks time they've also signed two other centre midfielders or, or or whatever that looks like. Um, but from what I've I've read around and, and hearing around right now, that that doesn't look like what's happening. You, as you mentioned, they're on the radar for Bellingham, but that's not until um, until the kind of the end of the season, which doesn't help them for this year. And really, you don't make the top four. That completely shifts who you're looking at bringing in in the summer because there's going to be players who are going to get offers from teams that are playing in the Champions League and they're going to want to go there instead. So I think the focus has got to be on making the top four because that that shifts your signings in the summer as well. So was a little surprised. Don't hate the move. Like I say, he looked good in the World Cup. I think it obviously adds strength to somewhere. They've, they've been hit by injuries, but uh, a bit concerned that it's not going to be enough and it's not really the area of weakness. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the signing for Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of came as a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had rumored Man United were in on him. It was almost a done deal, and then all of a sudden he's in Liverpool. Right. Um, I think I understand what you're saying. I, I've read up on this, and apparently Gakpo can play <laughs> a little bit deeper. He can play a midfield role, so maybe that's what Liverpool's envisioning. Um, the analytics, because um, when you know come from the Eredivisie, it's such a different standard than the Premier League. It's can right. be hard to determine how good somebody is. Like you know, uh, and how, <laughs> how they're going to transition to the Premier League. So, you know, if if he's if he's intended to be another forward, you know, that's a lot of forwards. You know, when you have everyone healthy with Diaz and Hota and Salah, you know, that, that's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, there's like five or six guys that could all start it forward. So I'd be interested to see if he does play a little bit deeper. Uh, I think that would be, you know, interesting to see how that goes, obviously. But yeah. I think whenever you add someone of Gakpo's ability, it's never a bad thing. The price was $37 million plus add-ons. That's a really affordable. Yeah. So, you know, I think as a Liverpool fan, you should be optimistic. You know, just be interesting to see how they use him going forward yeah and i think i think a lot that will come down to like i say what happens um the rest of the january transfer window uh and who else they manage to bring in because um like i said i'd like to see at least another center midfielder if not two uh i don't know if we'll get that many um there's also talks of you know liverpool are obviously up for sale right now uh i don't know if that's officially or unofficially but everyone knows that uh the the owners of what are they called Fenway whatever sports group uh, are looking to sell the majority FSG, of FSG. FSG there you go yes. looking to to sell up um, when that happens and what that looks like and what assets they want to bring in to make it a more appealing you know spot you kind of spend to drive up the price I don't know like it's they're not typically big spenders they have not been uh, when you look at some of the moves that Liverpool made it's always been kind of a lot more um, Surprise moves, you know, even when they signed Salah, when they signed Sadio Mane, some of their best players over recent years have not really been big name signings. Uh, so I don't think we're going to have suddenly a splash of cash in January. But yeah, I, like I, I don't hate the move. Like I say, I think it was just, it's not where, you, and, and you said yourself, watching the game, where you see kind of a gaping hole in Liverpool's play right now. Um, but yeah, we'll, we will monitor that moving forward. Now, Joe, we'll move on to what apparently ruined your weekend, uh, uh, Spurs versus Brentford. I'll let you take the reins on this one. Over to you. You know, <clears throat> this was so dystopian. I mean, <laughs> you know, 
it's like the World Cup never happened. <laughs> and I just woke up from a nightmare. Um, because this is exactly how Tottenham played before the World Cup. And it's like a month went by and nothing has changed. Um, this is the ninth consecutive game Tottenham have given up the first goal. <laughs> That's just not sustainable. Um, That's impressive. <laughs> and it's just maddening. Every game is almost a carbon copy of each other this game again and this is brentford i mean a, a nice side i like the tub thomas frank is doing um you know i think you know the fans got into it it's the early morning kickoff on box play i get it if i hadn't seen the same tottenham performance 20 times already this year i could excuse it but just again for the first 60 minutes tottenham are getting bossed by brentford <laughs> just absolutely bossed you know can't string passes together um just 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 struggling mightily um to get possession at least for the first 20 25 minutes just it was just such a wretched performance and i even said like you know around the 60 minute marco conte is he just not going to make any subs and <laughs> he's about to make three subs and then hurricane scores and then the game changes right and this is just how every Tottenham game goes for the first 60 minutes they just absorb 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 and play terribly and then at some point in the second half, they turn it on. And in this game, it was kind of a conspicuous, you know, Perisic cross to Kane. He finishes it beautifully. And the next thing you know, we're off to the races. Uh, Hoybjerg scores a great finish. Um, and it's 2-2 with 20 minutes to go. And Tottenham is like, you know, rip-roaring. And for all the world, it seems like they, they were going to get a third. Um, obviously, they didn't, but they were in complete control those last 25 minutes you never felt like Brentford was going to score a third but it's just it's just maddening because like <laughs> we know you can't high press for 90 minutes right there's going to be an ebb and flow but for every game to start off the same way <laughs> so conservatively so poorly for 60 minutes it's just maddening and you know with Jose Mourinho what would happen is Tottenham would look great for 15 minutes they would score a goal <laughs> and then they would play terribly, right? So it was like kind of like the opposite. This, this is they just wait for the other team to score a goal. Oh wait, that doesn't do it. Maybe for the opponent to score a second goal, and then <laughs> oh, we'll wait a little bit longer, and then finally we'll start going. And it's just this team is too talented. When you look at this lineup, you know, even with Ramiro out, even with Betancourt out, I mean, you have Harry Kane, you have Kulusevski, you have Basuma, you have Hoybeard, you have Perisic. I mean, this is quality players. And, you know, I was looking because I was trying to do, like, you know, player ratings in my head after 60 minutes, and I'm just like, who's been good? Everybody's yeah. been just listless, you know? And <laughs> it's just it's just so frustrating because you see what a team like Newcastle with less talent is doing. And this team, you know, is kind of pulling games out of the fire. But that shouldn't be necessary. You know, they shouldn't be going down 2-0 to Bournemouth right? and having to win 3-2. This team is too talented, and, you know, I think you have to look at Conte first. Um, and just because, you know, this is how these guys play when they you know went to their World Cup teams, you know. And there's no squad rotation. It's been the same players almost the whole year. Obviously, Betancourt was suspended for this game, so he didn't play. And Ramiro is celebrating the World Cup with the rest of Argentinians. So... He was unavailable, but like, 
It's just where where like where is the spark? Why is Brian Hill not coming in, in this game? You know, to change up. What where's Ryan Sessegnon? Where's Oliver Skip? These are talented players, and it's just no. We're continuing with the same eleven guys almost every game with little substitution, and the games are just continuing to go the same way, and it's just so frustrating. Yeah, I think uh, Eric Dyer has had better games in his career than he had here. Um, he just kind of just all out of sorts, like he was still asleep from drinking too much or eating too much on Christmas yeah. Day. Um, like you say, well, the frustrating... Course, Sorry, go ahead. Of course, Dyer mucks up the that <laughs> kick that causes a corner, and of course, Brentford score off of it. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the, the icing on the cake for him for this game. I think he was, yeah, he was definitely struggling. I think, like you say, it's the frustrating thing is for Spurs is is you you see them how they played from what fifty five sixty minutes on, and like the game was theirs, and they nearly even do get the victory. But like, where was that for like the first half? And you know, echoes of the the World Cup final, obviously not not to the same extent, but like the way that France looked so lifeless for so long and uh, and then suddenly turned it on and you kind of start wondering, like, well, what if you'd done this from minute one instead of minute 61? Um, could have been in a much better position. And like you say, they've got the players, they've got the strength. Um, and as, as we've already kind of spoken about, it's, it's a competitive top four to make the Champions League this year. Um, these are the games that you need to put away uh, when you're playing the likes of Brentford and you know teams teams below you. you. You need to be winning. And as a Liverpool fan, recent years has been very favourable. But you know, in the '90s, the early 2000s, I just remember you know we'd go and beat Man United at Old Trafford, and then the next three goal games are like defeats to Wigan, Bolton, and whoever else. Like just depressing results, and it's kind of like it's such a Jekyll and Hyde type team and and I don't think you can afford that this year in the Premier League I think that's going to see you finish kind of 7th, 8th, ninth, like the outside looking in um, and yeah you, you need to be every point like and it's very cliche but every point is going to be vital um, any moves you think Spurs make in, in the upcoming transfer window that can kind of change things or you think it's more tactical related that's kind of their struggles at the moment they're heavily linked to Perro, a right back from Sporting. Uh, so that, that could help. Uh, his right back is certainly weakness. But, I mean, the bottom line is I think they've been backed. I mean, last last January they got Kulusevski and Betancourt. Right. You know, this this uh, you know, they got Basuma. They got uh, Frazier Force, obviously, as a backup. But they got Jed Spence, who doesn't play. They got Perisic. Um, you know, there's so much talent on this team. Uh, Conte just needs to stop whining, stop complaining, stop saying I need this, I need that. Look in the mirror and figure it out. <laughs> you know, maybe stop being so conservative. I don't know, but there's just too much talent on this team to get these crappy first half performances time in and time again. For sure, for sure. And we'll move on to <laughs> to transition a bit here to look at the other half of the table. Uh, with teams kind of looking up at this and not even really paying attention to what's going on in the top half because they're worried about uh, fighting for survival and, and staying in the Premier League. Uh, that takes us first to Everton versus Wolves, and this was decided by a 95th minute winner by Wolves, uh, which elevated them from the bottom of the table um, by a point, I believe, by the, when it's all was said and done. Um, this game was kind of as expected, just just two teams kind of struggling this year uh, exchanging blows um, 
signs of why they're struggling, but then also signs of maybe some hope, especially for Wolves with the the late winner. You know, um, these are the games again. Going back to every point mattering, it's when when you're in a relegation battle, it's it's beating the teams around you um, and doing it in such a kind of gut punch kind of way with the the late late winner um, that only kind of helps your case because it's good for morale but then it also helps your case because the Everton players are going to just be kind of gutted after after the way it went down and you know you, you hang on for for 95 minutes and you just can't see it over the edge uh, you have much to say about Everton versus Wolves yeah so I think this was kind of like a you know six point relegation it's kind of insane to say that so early in the season but mm-hmm. I think both these teams could be in that position. This was obviously Lopetegui's first game as Wales manager. Uh, Wales manager. Wolves manager. <laughs> you got him on the um, podcast. It's okay. We, that's our quote yes. for today. <laughs> so um, the, the the interesting thing about this game is I think Everton really should be ruining some of the missed opportunities, especially in the second half. Uh, Anthony Gordon had a lot, you know three or four chances he could have finished and he didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know Everton. You know based on how this game was being played out you know if anybody should have taken the three points and you know wolves kind of smash and grab it at the end um you know with the late equalizer but the one thing i do want to mention about this game is the uh just the beautiful the beautiful free kick that uh excuse me corner kick that wolves worked in the first half to score right i thought of you when i saw it (laughs) <laughs> they took it short. They pass it to João Matino outside the box, and he just puts in this delicious, insipid little half, you know, pitch over the defenders, um, and you know, Pondense is able to finish it. But um, it it was just, it was just such a beautiful ball, and I would I would tell everybody to look at that first Wolves goal mm-hmm. um, for the creativity and then just sheer ability of Moutinho off his weaker foot to do that was just so tremendous. That's, uh, yeah, I, I can say I definitely, when, when I saw that goal, I was like, Joe's going to love this uh, with your all your uh, set-piece critique from the World Cup, but this uh, was, uh, this it was, was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a thing of beauty. And uh, talking of, of gorgeous goals, uh, take us on to our next game, Southampton versus Brighton. I think it was the third Brighton goal, Solly March. Uh, probably yep. goal of the weekend for me, curling it in, kind of takes a step inside from outside the box and then just uh, picks the top corner like no bother and uh, curls it in. This one sees Brighton winning 3-1. A lot of teams scoring three goals, a lot of goals in general uh, this weekend in the Premier League. And uh, yeah, Southampton then finding themselves bottom with, with this defeat and then the, the Wolves' victory. Uh, puts them bottom and in a lot of trouble. They didn't look great here. Um, Brighton, I thought, looked really good, really fun. Um, just a, a joy to watch on the South Coast. Uh, your thoughts on, on this one? Much to say? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty one-sided. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're Southampton, you should be very worried about the relegation. Yeah. Um, Nathan Jones, I think he's from Wales, right? Yeah. Uh, wasn't overly impressed <laughs> with how Southampton had set up, um, and this was really kind of one-way traffic. Brain, where the better team, they were in control of possession. Um, I think late Southampton started to create more chances in the second half, but <laughs> you know, I think it was really just it was a it was a brain performance that we see so often. But they finished. You know, Adam Lalana's first goal. They got fortunate with the own goal, and then as you mentioned. 
Um, the March 3rd goal was so fantastic. Um, <clears throat> cutting in with the left foot, just pocketing it. It was beautiful. Um, so I think if you're a Brighton fan, you should be very happy. I think this is one of the few teams, um, I think, what, they're seventh in the table right now. This is yeah. one of the few teams that I, would, I don't see getting relegated. Um, I think, you know, everyone from Fulham and below um, could be, but I think Brighton is a, you know, just a slight cut above those teams and um, just a really impressive performance. And if you're Southampton, like we said, this is not the kind of opponent you should be getting dusted by at home mm. when you need every point you can get. So, yeah, you know, and, we'll see what, what happens going forward. And their goal, even though it didn't come from a penalty, it effectively came from a penalty because Ward-Prowse missed the penalty and then just ha- headed in the rebound. So it's kind of a, they didn't look like they had too much life moving forward. And uh, yeah, Brighton just dominated this one. And uh, it's it's never nice to be to be sitting bottom. Um, and when you're not even kind of looking good, it's like you say, these, these last few months of the season they become very long and very kind of grueling for those fans um another one-sided match fulham versus crystal palace uh fulham went one nil up in this one and then uh palace have two men sent off uh and then it basically was uh, a procession from there for fulham they got another two goals um but fulham didn't really need to do too much they obviously had the one man and the two man advantage um for for quite a big chunk of the game i think both of the red cards were in the first half so it kind of uh Killed Tom, things the, off. Oh, the second Tom one was in the second half. So, yes. Yeah, second half. Was he was a, second was yellow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he was. Uh, but it was still early in the second half. It's still only one nil. Um, and then when you're playing nine against eleven, it's uh, you, you're basically just in damage limitation. <laughs> damage limitation at that point um, to try and kind of save goal difference and things like that, which can come in into effect uh, as we move through the season. So, um, yeah, not too too much to say about this. Alexander Mitrovic scores yet again. Uh, be interesting to see if he's uh, on the radar of some of these teams, like an Arsenal looking for a striker, someone who created a goal, scored a goal. Uh, he's been scoring for fun for like the last two years now for Fulham. So uh, I think they could be struggling to keep hold of him. Uh, they probably, their desire, probably I don't know what his contract looks like and, and when it will be coming up but their desire will be probably to keep them at least for this season and like you say I think while they are in the top half of the table uh, I don't think they're safe yet uh, with only 22 points it's early enough in the season that that hasn't got you over the hump but if they lose him I think that will be a big loss uh, but yeah any any thoughts on, on Fulham Palace? Just shout out to Tim Ream uh, oh, yes. 36 year old American yeah. beautiful goal it off was. the corner kick uh, to make it 2-0 in the 71st minute. Gets a contract extension for another year. Well-earned, well-deserved. Um, just having a great, you know, kind of swan song to the, his career. I mean, he's playing at the highest level. I think he's played his entire career. So shout-out to him. And, yeah, I think that's really all I have to say about this game. Yeah, we'll move on, on to today's games. Uh, the first one, Chelsea playing. Uh, yeah, they. I don't think they'd won... I think they like not won for five or six games, um, but then came out today uh, and really against Bournemouth uh, didn't look in doubt that they were going to win. They scored two goals, uh, 16th and 24th minute, basically killed the game. Nice goal, uh, Mason Mount's goal again. That's one to check out, just uh, outside of the box. This time putting it in the bottom corner, uh, but a lovely shot that the keeper really had no chance from. Uh, yeah, I think, that, like I say, the biggest thing for Chelsea was they, they looked very inconsistent leading up to the World Cup. Um, 
still in the mix for the top four to, for sure, just because, like I say, a lot of teams have been uh, kind of inconsistent, but they definitely they come out winning, uh, kind of get a win, especially at home to a team like Bournemouth. Those are games uh, you're expected to win when you're a team like Chelsea, uh, and, and they did. Uh, the, the the Havertz first goal, also pretty nice to watch, uh, very sweeping move, kind of defence to attack very quickly, Sterling with a nice cross uh, across the along the floor across the box just for her to slide in at the back post but yeah I think Chelsea looking good um but I've said this earlier on in the season that they were looking good and then suddenly they'd have like I say a string of five results before the World Cup where they're dropping points in in games you really don't expect them so I, I think that's the biggest thing to watch out with them is is this just kind of like another flash in the pan or can they actually find some consistency and really drive forward um right now sitting in eighth place uh, so kind of a, a bit of a mountain to climb to, to reach that top four, but only six points off that. So, you know, a couple of wins against the teams around them can can see them find their way back up there. Uh, I don't think you were able to see this game. Uh, have, you, have you been able to see any of the highlights or, or anything around this game? Yeah, so this is the one game I did not get to watch. I, I saw the highlights. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Mount goal was great. The Havertz first goal was, was also good. It seems like just based on the advanced stats, <clears throat> kind of a game where Chelsea dominated, got a two nothing lead, and then just kind of shut it down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bournemouth, um, you know, whether or not they stay up is obviously left to be um, known. But uh, I just they're probably, in my opinion, the weakest side in the Premier League, and Chelsea took care of them. It you know it appears pretty easily. Yeah, and like I, I think like obviously there's there's a lot of stats around the Premier League now, and you can dive into some deeper analytics. But you know, one of the the key ones uh, for me, just like a glaring sign, is Bournemouth currently have a negative 16 goal difference. Um, so although they're three three points off the drop, uh, that is actually equal to Southampton who are bottom, uh, or worse than Wolves who have who got minus 15, and then only Nottingham Forest have a worse worse goal difference uh, with minus mm-hmm. 22. And I think when you're conceding goals at that rate. Uh, so even if you have picked up some victories to be out of the relegation battle right now, well, when you're conceding goals um, at such a high rate, it's going to be a long, long season. Um, and yeah, it, 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 like, I, I wouldn't disagree that they're definitely um, a team that are on the outside looking down at the relegation zone right now. But I, I wouldn't uh, be surprised if... You know, in the coming weeks, they well, there's there's a lot of games coming up in the next couple of weeks, if if whether they're well down in that mix uh, by the end of that, and then that takes us on to to the final game of the week, uh, which I haven't had a chance to see yet. So, Joe, I'll pass this one over to you. Man United getting back to winning ways uh, after the World Cup three nil win over Forest. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this was just one way traffic. Um, <laughs> you know, I think because of the opposition wasn't quite as impressed as I was with Arsenal, but, you know, Man United have kind of put the Ronaldo situation to bed, and we just saw a free-flowing attack from them. You know, Rashford and Martial both scoring early. Uh, Casemiro, the huge $80 million signing, um, came up huge. I think he was the man of the match. Uh, really dominated the midfield. Um, the, the difficult thing was with Nottingham, despite all the money they've spent on this roster... It just it doesn't seem to be gelling that well. Obviously, we, you just mentioned their bottom in goal difference. You know they're in the relegation zone right now. <sighs> you know I just you know they you know I just you know oh, the one thing I do want to mention in this game was uh, in the first half 
um, Nottingham had scored, uh, you know, and they went to VAR. And they were reviewing if it was a handball on Nottingham and, you know, to disallow the goal that way. But it was so annoying is because even though it was kind of debatable if it was a handball or not, it was clearly offsides. <laughs> so they spent all this time reviewing to see if it was a handball, just to then review if it was offsides, and it was so clearly offsides, <laughs> you could have saved us all like five minutes. So that was annoying. But, I mean, that's really the only thing that I can say about Nottingham. It was just a pretty dour performance by them. And, you know, it's not impossible for them to get out of the relegation zone. There's a lot of teams with a lot of weaknesses at the bottom. They just need to do a better job. They need to be more, you know, Steve Cooper needs to find more solidity at the back. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be something we're going to monitor as, as the weeks go by here. But, um, you know, not the, not the greatest sign for them going forward. And, you know, I think it's another important step forward for Man United. They seem to be continuing to get better under Ten Hag. And I think if you're a United fan, you have to feel more and more and more appreciative of where the club is headed yeah no for sure and your boy fred getting on the score sheet as well um which is which is always fun we obviously were very critical of fred in the world cup but yeah he gets the third and final goal um yeah, as that kind of concludes the games. We'll have to take a quick look at the table. So Arsenal currently top with 40 points. Uh, Seven-point gap over Newcastle on 33. Man City with a game in hand. Two games in hand on Newcastle. One game in hand on Arsenal at 32. Your Spurs sitting in fourth place at the moment. 30 points. Man United 29. Liverpool 25. And then uh, a lot of teams all very close together. Brighton 24. Chelsea 24. Fulham 22. Uh, Brentford 20. Crystal Palace 19, Villa 18, Leicester 17, and then this is where it really gets messy, uh, just kind of four points between the rest. Bournemouth with 16, Leeds with 15, West Ham and Everton both on 14, Wolves and Forest are both on 13, and Southampton bottom with 12. Um, and of course, with, with one game of this game week left to go uh, tomorrow night with Leeds and, and Man City. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to dive into too much the relegation battle just yet. Obviously, keeping these teams on the radar, and I don't don't doubt you that when you kind of, I completely agree when you say Fulham down, um, there's kind of ten points between ninth and twentieth, and any of those teams can go on a run, and any of those teams can go on a negative, <laughs> a bad run, um, and and find themselves kind of free falling because there really is uh, and not a lot. You lose to one of the teams around you, and they can leapfrog over you pretty quickly. Um, so definitely got a fun season in store. Uh, who are your winners or winner for this week? I know we did this game by game in the World Cup. I think we can just do it kind of more holistic uh, as we move forward on looking at the Premier League. But who who do you have as a winner this weekend? Um, I'm going to go with um, Wolves because of that free kick, uh, you know, the off the corner kick, that beautiful play. That gorgeous ball by Matinho. But really, most importantly, first game under Lopetega, they didn't play well. But guess what? They went to Everton, another team that they're battling for in you know, the relegation battle. And they took all three points on the last, you know, last ditch effort. So I think it's hard to be a bigger you know, bigger winner than Wolves. And most importantly, they actually scored two goals in a game, which is a very rare thing for Wolves. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think my my winner 
this weekend is probably Newcastle. Um, like I say, I think, yes, they haven't looked like world beaters yet. They haven't spent all of the money that they probably have available to them yet. Um, but these games where you can make a Leicester team look really bad, they probably are bad, but make them look bad, win the game easily uh, with kind of no, the result was never in question, just played well um, and probably answering some of those critics that they are. Uh, in the mix of the top four, uh, I, I think it may be kind of a season or two too soon to talk about them pushing for the title. I think, like you said, they they don't have the the strength of the squad uh, just yet. But you know, let's see what happens in January. But I think this this break that everyone's been talking about, what was going to happen coming out of the second half of the season from from the World Cup break, and Newcastle came out guns blazing, um, similar to to Arsenal and and some of the other big teams around them. Uh, who is your loser, or which team is your loser this weekend? <clears throat> Not to be narcissistic, but I have to go Tottenham. <laughs> Everyone around them came out flying. Arsenal, 3-1 win. Newcastle, 3-0 win. Uh, you know, Man City, we're obviously going to see, but Manchester United, 3-0 drubbing. Chelsea, 2-0 win. Liverpool, 1-3-1, even though it wasn't necessarily convincing. Even Brighton, 1-3-0. I mean, almost everyone else in the top half of the table won, except for Tottenham. And uh, obviously we'll see Man City leads tomorrow. We'll recap that on the next pod. But really just, uh, you know, just a terrible performance. Feels like the World Cup break did nothing. And, uh, you know, it's just very, um, just a very dour feeling. Fair, fair. I think... uh... I could go Southampton here. I think they were pretty lifeless um, sitting bottom of the table. It's it's not good to even feel like you've got much fight left in your team, uh, especially as there's, there's a lot of football still to be played and that can obviously turn around. But I think my true loser this weekend has to be Michael Oliver. And it's for one decision and one decision only. Just before halftime, he decides to give a penalty for handball, which it, I, I, he's looked like they showed an angle on the replay where he's looking right at it. It clearly hits the defender in the face. His hand is like up and kind of around there, but like nowhere near the ball. Uh, and for some reason, he gives a penalty. Obviously, with VAR, uh, he goes and checks it and, and quickly realizes his mistake. But I just don't know how he concluded that that, that that hit his hand. So, Michael Oliver, you get my loser of the week here. Um, the one yeah. thing I'll say about that, though, quickly, that was VAR working to perfection. Yes. An obvious terrible call. <laughs> Easy to switch. Still took like a, you know, a minute too long for the re- you know, Oliver to go over to the screen. But thank you for far in that one instance. <laughs> yeah. But Michael Oliver still might lose because I have no idea how he thought it was ever a handball with the angle he was looking at it. But anyway, um, anything else to say um, before we, we move on to our next segment when we're going to be bringing Jim in to, to help him pick one of these teams to support? No, I've said enough. Okay, okay, so we will bring Jim in. Okay, so Joe, uh, just uh, before the end of the World Cup, we had a fan of the podcast, Jim Crumley, reach out to us, and he was asking about picking a Premier League team, where to dive in. He wanted to get involved, so we thought, what better way than bring Jim onto the podcast? Jim, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Good. So are you excited and ready for your life to be changed? I am, I am. It's, it's a big day for me, I know. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and what level of commitment are you looking to get here? Are you just going to be kind of checking in on the scores? Are you going to be watching every minute of every game? Where's this going? Uh, probably somewhere between the two, I guess. But we'll <laughs> uh, start, start off with uh, 
watching a game or two and, and watching the scores for sure. But hopefully, uh, hopefully pulled in a little more than that. For sure. Well, and hopefully we pick the team that is close, uh, close to your heart so that, you know, it's natural for you to just dive in and get started. Um, so you may have heard the quiz. You may have had a little sneak preview. Uh, you know, I, I tested out on a, on a small fish podcast with uh, <laughs> Alex Akiva and Ali and, and kind of dove into the quiz there. I've tweaked it a little bit. I've added a few questions in, um, but the science remains the same and, you know, unquestioned science that's going to get you this team. Uh, so whenever you're ready, shall we dive in? Let's go for it. Okay, so the first question I have for you, Jim, is what are the teams you follow now and why have you chosen to follow these teams? Yeah, I mean, I guess the uh, the two biggest teams I follow are the Wisconsin Badgers in both basketball and football. Um, and I went there for undergraduate for college, so that's kind of how I, how I got to be a big fan of them. You know, I had season tickets for for basketball and football went to games and you know kind of dove in there and the other uh big one for me is the green bay packers i i moved around a bit as a kid i live in minnesota now but i i lived in the suburbs of green bay like when i was really young and uh got attached to them there and, and kept that team as i moved around to other places and uh i i lived through the through the really bad years with them and uh you know i i felt like i earned the the good 90s well mid 90s and and plus for them because they, they were not good in the late 70s and 80s they're back in the bad years now aren't they or are they they they're well, turning around late on <laughs> there's still hope that they might not be yet but yeah it, it <laughs> they could be on the downward turn that's definitely true uh, uh, well, and if you like a, a team that's owned by the fans, you know, you could be an extra city fan. Uh, I own a piece of that team. Um, they don't take it over by a trust. But that's a that's a deep dive podcast for another day getting into League One football. We'll, uh, we'll keep this English Premier League for now. OK, so the next question I have for you is uh, what is your best sporting memory and why? Why does that stick with you? Yeah, my my uh, best sporting memory is probably going to the uh Rose Bowl in 1994, that was the first time the, the Badgers had been there, um, you know, since I think the 50s or something like that. Now I can't remember exactly when. But, but yeah, my brother and I went to the game. My, my whole family at that point went out for the trip to L.A., so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and they won, so that was uh, the capper. But, but the, the whole experience was awesome. And had they lost, do you think you still would have enjoyed it all the same? Yeah, I, I think I still would have. Um, I kind of had the mirror image uh, experience that I uh, I went to grad school in Minnesota, and they went to the Final Four in 1997 and went down there for the Final Four, and they got beat by Kentucky, um, and, which which wasn't great, but it was still a good experience. Okay. Okay. And what's your worst sporting memory, and why? Yeah, my my worst sporting memory is probably so so in the. Uh, in the 80s, I lived in uh, suburbs of Chicago, and I was a Cubs fan. In 1984, the Cubs were were finally good after years of not being good, and uh, they they went up 2-1 in the the national um, in, in the NLCS on the Padres, and then they got swept three games, and and they were done. So that was uh, that, that that one hurt. Oh, as as uh, you know, sporting experiences, fan experiences hurt more when you're younger. I think. Right. 
and it still still hurts today like if you went back and watched highlights or something do you think you'd uh would spark some of that emotion and and some of that pain yeah 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 okay. definitely definitely and of all the teams that you mentioned already that you kind of follow and you followed throughout your different stages of your life, which would you say you're the, the most invested in? Uh, probably Badger basketball. Okay. And how would you just... Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how would you describe Badger basketball to someone who knows nothing oh. about them, a.k.a. me? Who doesn't know a lot <laughs> about well, uh, so, 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 yeah, I mean, it... Uh, one of the things I, I love about basketball, I, I'm more a fan of defense on basketball. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm a, a great fit for the Badgers over the past 20 years is because they're kind of a defense-first team. They play a really slow-paced offense, uh, but but their defense, um, you know, is is they're all about the defense. They they strangle teams on defense, and and I love that. And and yes, I I, I catch a lot of flack for. When, when they have a good game and, and uh, keep the total score under 100. Uh, pe- some people don't <laughs> love that style, but uh, but I, I eat it up. That's too yeah, bad so we Jim don't... Would love, Jim would love Jose Mourinho. I, was, sadly, I was, was literally about to say that. Team. So what are yeah. we going to do? I was, I was literally about to say it's too bad that we don't have Jose Mourinho still in the Premier League because uh, it sounds like we would, it would be a very quick, easy quiz. Um, okay, so moving on... Uh, what do you believe to spark a great rivalry in sport? And just for some examples here, is it kind of being geographically close, you know, neighboring cities or in the same state or kind of they've had series of matches over over a period of time that kind of it becomes a bit of a grudge match or, you know, arguments over who's more successful? What would you say uh, sparks a great rivalry for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think all those things can play into it, but but right for me, I think the geography has to be kind of what it's based on. The geography is where it starts, and then over time it builds up, and you know, events build into the rivalry, and and you know, the history goes back after that. But yeah, I think it's got to start with the geography. Perfect, perfect. And this question, this next question, I've tweaked a little bit because I feel like um, it was the underdog question that I asked uh, on the 32 Fans podcast, and I think it kind of, it, it steers people down a path. Uh, and Joe, we were talking about this offline, that, you know, it basically meant that Ali was not going to be a Spurs fan, even though if she'd answered this question differently, she would have been based on the quiz. So I've reworded it slightly for you, Jim. Um, would you prefer your team to be battling for titles or would you prefer them to be fighting for their lives? Which is a difficult question for a North American, I know, because there's not a lot of relegation, um, at least that I'm aware of, in, in North American sports. Um, but would you rather be kind of, yeah, ch- chasing those titles, or do you want to be battling it out, never really winning trophies, but every game is vitally important to kind of battle for your life? Oh, yeah, that, that is a tough one, right? Because, it, yeah, it doesn't translate all that well. I, I feel like, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm going to go with battling for their, their lives a bit. I think uh, that uh, that sounds like, if nothing else, it's an interesting thing that'll be a a, uh, a different piece to follow than okay. it would be for, for North American leagues, like you say. Perfect. And like I say, it means every game is just as important. Uh, you know, you could be like Joe, a Spurs fan that, you know, you're not battling for titles or fighting for your life and you just live in this uh, mediocrity for years and years. Pregatory for life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so what would you consider as a general rule 
uh, or would you, sorry, consider as a general rule that capital cities are the best city in the country, or if it's a state capital, that's the best city in that state? Would you would you agree with those statements? Yeah, actually, I, I generally would. I've I've lived in two capital cities, and I I loved living in each of them. So, yep. Perfect. Perfect. What capital cities? Uh, Madison and St. Paul. Okay. And are those? I'm I'm assuming those are good good cities. I don't know. Don't know either of them. I, well, I think so. Um, oh, true, true. It sparked your answer. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So, some people, would, Alex Chester, would disagree about St. Paul. But uh, I, I think, in general, Madison's got pretty high approval rating. So it's a smaller city. It's it's got good. Yeah. Madison's very cool. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Next question: If you had to move house from where you're living right now, would you prefer to move north from where you're living right now or west? From where you're living right now north where do you want to go well, winnipeg i was gonna say doesn't that take you to canada <laughs> well, yeah see I'm, I'm worried about global warming i uh <laughs> you, you want to move somewhere even colder than where you already are that's that's cool yeah yeah but I've, I've joked before that we in 20 years we need may need to move my college further north than we are now because because the weather's going in the wrong direction even if it doesn't seem like it this month Okay, and then you walk into, and this this sparks some controversy. Me asking Ali to buy a white dress, but when you walk into a store, um, and you've got to buy an item of clothing, just say it's a a sweatshirt. Say, would you prefer to buy a red one or a white one? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with red for the the badger connection. Perfect. Perfect. And next question, do you like both the bands Oasis and the Stone Roses? Uh, and you have to like both, otherwise your answer is no. Yes, they're, they're both. I, they're, they're not the top of my list, but yes, I like them yeah, both. You enjoy their music. That's good. Yep. That's good. And have you heard the song Blue Moon by the Marcells? Have you ever heard of that song? Yes, yes, I had, I had heard of that song even before. 30, the t- 32 fans. That's <laughs> so. we played the clip. I, I'm not just cheating based on that. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, technically now you have heard it, right? Because you heard it. There, so you're not lying. Yep. Um, okay. On a scale of one to ten, where one is hate and ten is love, uh, where would you score Joe's Boston Red Sox? Uh, no pressure. <laughs> I'm not a Red Sox fan, first of all. <laughs> you live there, though, so you got to have some affection towards uh, them yeah i hate them <laughs> okay, perfect okay um next question would you continue to support a team if they were purchased by a corrupt business or organization so basically blood money buys your team uh do you kind of cut all ties or do you continue to to follow that team yeah that's that's a tough one I, it, it clearly depends on how much i've i'm uh attached at that point but uh I guess I'm gonna say no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it happens next week, we can we can redo the quiz and we'll, we'll take that team out. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> when, when Liverpool get bought by uh, whoever's gonna buy them. Um, okay, which is more important, someone's first name or their last name? <sighs> yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I guess I will go with their last name. And then, do you prefer crystals or diamonds? Yeah, this one I'm going to give you trouble on because diamonds <laughs> actually are a kind of crystal. Okay. <laughs> but but 
<laughs> just just to be a pain in the ass on that, but, but yeah, no, I, it's okay. I, I like... say diamonds. Diamonds, okay. very scientific. As you say, the, the the method behind the quiz is where the science come in, not my uh, not oh, the science behind the questions. I don't have that level of intelligence. Sorry. Okay. Um, and you may have looked this up, and you obviously heard it on the podcast. But uh, do you know who Kenny Omega is and what his profession is, or did you know pre previously to hearing it elsewhere? I, I did not know, and I have already forgotten. So I, I, did not, <laughs> that's I fair. still do not know. That's fair. He is a professional wrestler. So okay, that's right. I believe he's actually from Winnipeg, so not far from you. Him, yeah. and, him and Chris Jericho are coming from that part of the world. Okay, <laughs> next question. When you're booking a holiday, are you looking for a city break or a beach break? Beach break. Beach break, okay. And did you see the movie Titanic at the cinema, and did you enjoy it? Yeah. Yes and yes. Yes and yes. Okay. Which is more useful, the first half of the alphabet or the second half? So A to M or N to Z? Ah, uh, the first half. First half. I think I have my team for you. I think I <laughs> yeah, have it. You have a team for him? Okay. Yes. You'll see if our science aligns. Um, <laughs> Okay, if you can live anywhere, would you choose a big city to live in? And I know you're, you're a fan of state capitals, as you mentioned. Um, or would you prefer to live in a small town or village? Uh, I guess I'm going to go with small town. Okay. Um, have you ever eaten a Yorkshire pudding, or at least know what a Yorkshire pudding is? Uh... No, I have not eaten any Yorkshire pudding, and I, I had heard of it before the podcast, but I wasn't really clear on what it was before 32 fans, so I, I guess okay. that's probably a no. Do you think you would like it? Yeah, I think I probably would. <laughs> it's, it's, there's not a lot to not like about it. It basically tastes of nothing, and that's why you douse it in meat and gravy. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the pancake of, of breakfast. Um, Okay, have you ever heard of Walker's Crisps or potato chips? No, I hadn't before the podcast. Uh, did you enjoy the Kevin Costner classic Robin Hood and the Prince of Thieves, the movie? Yes. Yes. Good man. It's a good movie. Good movie. I, and that one I saw in the theater as well. There we go. Never Emotional heard ending to that movie. Um, no spoilers here, though, for a movie that came out <laughs> 25 years ago, <laughs> whenever it came out. Uh, okay, final question. Uh, have you ever seen the actor, English actor Danny Dyer in anything um, to be able to recognize him if he, if he walked past you in the street or if he walked into the room right now? I don't think so. No. Okay. Not well enough to know him. Yep. Okay, Joe, do you want to uh, give your team while I kind of tally up where, where Jim has landed? Yeah. yeah, so first, I'm actually looking at a map of all the Premier League teams right now. And it's crazy how <laughs> is how like categorized you can put that like how densely populated they are. I mean, all the London teams and the you know Southampton, Bournemouth, Brighton, <laughs> those ten teams are all you know in like the bottom ten percent of the country. Then obviously you have the Yorkshire clubs, Wolves, Villa, Leicester, Nottingham Forest a little bit, and then you obviously have the teams from. Leeds, Manchester, uh, Manchester, and Liverpool, and then all the way up north you have Newcastle. So it's kind of funny how 
you know, as small as England is comparatively speaking, all these countries are still kind of jammed in in like three three spots besides Newcastle, which is kind of on its own. But if I had to pick one team for Jim, I am going to go with Everton Football Club. I think they're kind of similar to the Badgers in the sense that historically they're always very good. They're always good, but they're never great. You know, they're the classic nine and three, eight and four, big Big Ten football team. They're obviously in the northern port, northern portion um, of the of the country. They are currently fighting for their lives uh, in the relegation battle. They're kind of the little brother to Liverpool, right? Uh, as far as that rivalry goes, um, I think they have, you know, passionate fans. Um, they don't necessarily need games to be pretty, um, similar to Wisconsin basketball. I just think Jim kind of fits the ethos of, of an Everton football club supporter. Okay. okay. How does that sound to you, Jim? That, uh, yeah, it sounds like that uh, might be a good fit. Okay, so we're at a bit of a crossroads here, Jim, and I'm going to give you the option that you can you can go with the science of my quiz, which is highly scientific, or you can go <laughs> with with the science of Joe's listening and uh, interpreting what you had to say. So the quiz churned out for you, Brighton Hove Albion, who also are a scrappy team. They may not be in the Premier League forever. Uh, I think there's a bit more longevity with Everton. Um, they they squeeze out results here and there. They're kind of a, a fun team that will cause an upset here and there. Uh, but again, always question their kind of longevity um, in the league. I think Everton are a bit more stable. Joe, have you got anything else to add on, on how you would describe yeah. Brighton? Yeah, I, I don't love that pick. Uh, they're basically as far south as you can go, Jim. You're not a, you're not the south. I mean, I know you said you're a beach guy, but you're not that far south guy. Uh, you're a northerner. We know that. And Brian, I mean, they're not really defense first, right? They're more of true, a, true especially under Grand Potter, they're more of an attacking side. Uh, it's a good club, though. It's a, I think it's a fun. It'd be a fun team to support. Um, and like you know, I think they're far more likely to stay up than Everton is this year. Um, but I just, you know, I think. You know, Jim, I think you should just, I, you know, I think no matter what, I think you should, you know, we gave you the results of the quiz. You got some input from me. I think, you know, when you can, just, you know, maybe watch some of the games on a when you're up early on a Saturday morning. Try to get a feel for both teams, see which one you kind of connect with most. Because, you know, we can talk about, you know, the quiz. We can talk about <laughs> um, all the different category, you know, ways to fit you into something. But, you know, you got to feel it deep down. You know, you got to watch right. it and you got to see what you like, what you appeal. You know, when you watch Everton at Goodison, the crowd is right on top of you. They're very loud. They're energetic. Brain can be somewhat similar. So I think, you know, I think, you know, as, as important as this quiz is, as important as it to know what you want going in, I think it's also important to watch it, to feel it, and just to get the sense of what you think you're going to like. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. I, I have one little bonus question for you. Uh, do you like Sylvester Stallone? Yes. Okay, you're you're an Everton fan. He's a huge Everton fan as well. I think you just uh, <laughs> you, you sealed the deal there. Um, let's yeah. <laughs> throw the throw the quiz out the window. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I will go back and uh, track your results and see how far away uh, it could have been. The beach could have been the difference between yeah, uh, being the, an Everton the, fan and a Brighton fan. But... That may have been a tough one, just because I. Beach to me, I, 
I, I'm from Minnesota, so beach doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean yeah. ocean. You know, no. Minnesota beach means L- lake. L- I mean, Liverpool's on the coast. Beach. Yeah, yeah. there must be some sand around there. So I think uh, yeah. I think your mind may have been made up. Um, like I say, I think that the, 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 the quiz is just a tool to help you along this journey and help you decide. So it doesn't have to be so prescriptive. So as Joe says, take it away. Um, yeah, and, uh, and let us know uh, where you land and what your thoughts are. And we can always bring you back on and you can give us a, you know, how you got from today to having jerseys of sure. this team and, uh, you know, living yeah, and dying that. by this team. <laughs> So, yeah, Jim, just take it all in, watch it. Like, I know when I came in, uh, when I started you know, 15 years ago, whatever, and I was, you know, in high, uh, you know, middle school, high school, and I started watching uh, the English Premier League, I was trying to find a team, and I know what caught me was just, I was watching a, you know, a Tottenham game, and I, I just, the, the speed, the athleticism, the crowd, just, you know, the, just the, the intensity of it all really captivated it for me, and and, it, and for some reason, I, obviously, I didn't know it at the time. I'm like, this team is always playing on a Sunday. I don't know why. <laughs> it turns out it's because they were in uh, the Europa League, which is like a secondary Europe, uh, European competition. So they played on Thursday, Sunday all the time. But, you know, I didn't know about that, you know, ignorant little me. So I just, you know, became a fan. And then, you know, it, it just felt right, you know. So I think, you know, that's, you know. When you watch, I think it's very important. Just you have these kind of you have these two teams now. You can pay special attention to, but you know, just watch it, feel it out, and you know, I think you'll find a connection with one of these teams. Okay. And I think it'll be Everton, but you know, I've been <laughs> wrong before. <laughs> and it may be neither. You may watch whoever these teams, uh, Brighton and Everton, are playing, and then fall in love with whoever they're playing. But that's also fine. Uh, me and Joe are always happy to be wrong occasionally. Um, yeah, so thanks, Jim. Thanks for coming on. Joe, uh, how is it that uh, Jim reached out to us? Where can people reach us? Uh, um, our email address, Rich. Oh, yeah? Do you know what, what that is? What, what is that? I'm not sure. Oh, oh <laughs> it might be the uh, wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod. Uh, we have a website, thewrongfootpodcast.com. Check us out there. Links to all these things there as well. Um, this puts another episode in the books. Uh, thank you, Jim, for coming on. Thank you for being good sport and uh, sharing some insight into your sporting life. Joe, thanks as ever, and I hope you both have a good rest of the day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.